we're stepping up all of our efforts. Additional CDC personnel are on the scene, and we're working quickly to track and monitor anyone who may have been in close contact with someone showing symptoms. Oh, man. That's so mean, Desi. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Familiar voice. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, where it is raining. Will that wash all the coronavirus away, Des? No. Oh. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's. WNHN in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com as things get weirder and weirder and weirder and more disturbing by the moment. Glad you could join us. Uh, well, uh, things went very well on Wednesday night, don't you think, Desi Doyen? <laughs> the- Sorry, you couldn't even keep a straight face at the end no, of that sentence. I couldn't. Nice to have a, a you know a president who finally puts the nation and the world at ease with a primetime address to the American people from the Oval Office, which went very, very well. Maybe we should have known it wasn't going to go so well uh, because C-SPAN had already picked up the feed, I guess, just moments before uh, and moments after the uh, president's address from the Oval Office. Here's what it sounded like just before he began. I want Uh oh. I got a pen mark. Anybody have any white do you have any white stuff? It's so expletive. Uh, apparently he's got a pen mark on his hand and he's gonna cover it up with whiteout? Is that what he's trying to figure out what he's talking about, I think is a fool's errand. Good point. Uh, well, uh, anyway, yeah, it did not go well. Uh, if you thought it didn't go well, you're not the only one. Former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci said the coronavirus could be President Trump's Hurricane Katrina. It does certainly seem to be on a similar trajectory. At of course, this point. I would say uh, Hurricane Maria was President Trump's Hurricane Katrina. And <laughs> I can think of probably a number of other things that would be even more so that this would be. How many to. Hurricane Katrinas does this guy get at this point? Donald Trump's address from the Oval Office on coronavirus Wednesday night uh, did not just send markets plunging again on Thursday. It also required immediate cleanup 
from the president and others because of numerous significant errors in the speech. The plunge on Thursday was more than 2,000 points on the Dow. Uh, it opened around 2,000 points down. It, it closed even higher. Uh, it triggered the second automatic 15-minute halt in trading this week alone. About 83% of the gains for the stock market since Donald Trump took office have now been wiped out. One more day of it. One more day of, uh, of a, about a 1,500-point drop, and the market will have lost all of the gains that it has seen since January of 2017 when Donald Trump was sworn in. All of them. There's your rocket fuel for the economy. Uh, this before a, a surprisingly small gathering of people on the mall, National Mall back in 2017. You might remember that when he was sworn in. Uh, have you seen those pictures, by the way? There were very few people at his inauguration. I, I don't know if he, if he remembers it. Well, at least compared to Obama's inauguration. Anyway, and by the way, thanks for playing that Obama clip at the top. You're welcome. That's Just what a to, responsible president sounds like. Yeah, apparently. Well, Donald Trump's speech did uh, very little to calm anybody's nerves, apparently, uh, much less Wall Street's, with uh, Dow futures plummeting about a thousand points just as soon as he opened his mouth uh, on Wednesday night during that speech. And then that continued into Thursday and got much worse. The president announced that travel from Europe, except for the U.K., would be suspended for 30 days for some reason in an effort to prevent the spread of COVID-19, which, by the way, Rush Limbaugh told people that uh, COVID-19, no big deal. We've had many of these before. It's just like having the cold or the flu. He said that's why it's called COVID-19, because we've had 18 COVIDs previously. It's just, a, just you know, we get these coronaviruses from time to time. We've had 18 others. No big deal. Actually, COVID-19 is called COVID-19 because it came about in 2019. Ah. Not because there were 18 others. Uh, anyway, why the exception for the uh, United Kingdom on this travel ban? Nobody really seems to know. The UK has one of the highest coronavirus rates in Europe currently, but they are no longer in Europe's so-called Eurozone since uh, Brexit. So they don't have the open borders that the rest of Europe has. Uh, not that that appears to ha have much to do with the spread of the virus, which is already in the UK. And by the way, Mr. President, it is already in the U.S. as well. So shutting borders, uh, even while leaving them largely open anyway, which we'll get to in a moment, is is believed by epidemiologists and other experts who actually know things to really have very little effect at this point. It won't do much of anything to help spread, uh, to, to help prevent the spread of the virus. But of course, even at that, the president got a whole bunch of stuff wrong in his speech, even while delivering a speech from a teleprompter, which the White House then had to quickly clean up afterwards. Not the teleprompter, but the things that Donald Trump said. For example, uh, TPM's Matt Shuham highlights that uh, most surprising the, the most surprising line in Trump's remarks was the announcement that trade not only travel would be suspended from Europe quote these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo but various other things as we get approval he said well that is a very big deal shutting down trade and cargo from Europe well no actually 
uh, Trump, or more accurately, someone writing on the the real Donald Trump Twitter account for him. And if you see the tweet, it was clearly not written by him. It because had good it was, grammar, it had punctuation, no capital spelling. letters, didn't call anybody any names. Anyway, uh, he had to quickly walk back his own claim in uh, in a tweet uh, prompting uh, readers to uh, quote, "Please remember." Something that he hadn't actually said. The trade will in no uh, trade will in no way be affected by the 30 day restrictions on travel from Europe. The restriction stops people, not goods. That after moments earlier saying, quote, these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and uh, 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 goods cargo, but various other things, he said. The uh, after the president spoke, the White House account tweeted, quote, we will be suspending all travel from Europe except the United Kingdom for the next 30 days. The policy goes into effect Friday at midnight. Trump, during his teleprompter remarks, however, laid out a narrow group that would not be affected by the ban on travel from Europe, including America, quote, Americans who have undergone appropriate screenings. But even that didn't cover the actual exemptions, which appear to be much broader than that, as Ken Cuccinelli, who is performing the duties of the Deputy Homeland Security Secretary at this point, he later tweeted, quote, This does not apply to American citizens or legal permanent residents or their families. According to the presidential proclamation text the White House published soon after the address. There will be exemptions not only for American citizens, but also lawful permanent residents as well as their spouses. The ban does not apply to parents and legal guardians of citizens or permanent residents that are unmarried and under 21 years of age. It also does not apply to the siblings of a citizen or a permanent resident if both are under 21 or the children of citizens or permanent residents. So that's a whole lot of exceptions, uh, including the exceptions for those who are under 21, which is kind of bizarre, it seems to me. Desi, uh, you know more about this disease, I think, than I do. But uh, so it affects older people. It kills older people at much higher rates, at much higher rates. But it is carried by everyone. Is it not? This Am is correct. I so, I mean, basically what you're talking about is they're trying to prevent, I guess, a last helicopter out of Saigon situation of Americans trying to get home, everybody trying to get home within a 48-hour period. But yes, children are carriers of it, and even if they don't show any symptoms, what needs to happen is actual screening and testing of everybody coming into airports. Stopping them from coming in doesn't really do as much as testing them would do to help us figure out who's got it, who doesn't, what to do. And so when they come in, it, just because they're younger than 21, they may be carrying the virus. Yes. Go home, say hello to grandma and grandpa. And then and infect kill them. them, yes. Yeah. Okay. The plan is sound. Uh, so really, it's a, it's a pretend ban that doesn't actually apply too much of anything because there's all of these other l loopholes and things, uh, at least as far as a way to keep the virus out, which, by the way, is already here. It is already in. Right. Though it does maybe keep some of those pesky foreigners out, unless they're British, I guess. Those guys are okay. 
Non-residents with certain visas applying to be crew members on sea vessels and aircraft, they are also exempt, as are non-residents seeking entry for various diplomatic and law enforcement purposes. So, yeah, pretty much everybody can come in, despite this ban, this pretend ban. In addition, the Health Secretary, uh, Homeland Security Secretary, Attorney General, and Secretary of State also have the ability to designate any individuals that they want to come into the country, according to the proclamation. It's not unlike the ban on travel from China that the president keeps bragging about. We were early on. We blocked all the travel from China. That had all kinds of loopholes in it as well, not to mention the lack of a ban even now, apparently, from places like Japan and South Korea, where the virus has been wreaking havoc for weeks. So, yeah, it is all pretend from our pretend president. Trump on Wednesday also casually announced one actual policy thing that might have to do with helping out those actually affected by coronavirus. And it would have amounted to a giant hole in the pockets of health insurance executives. He said, quote, earlier this week, I met with the leaders of the health insurance. And he didn't use the word the leaders of health insurance industry who have agreed to waive all co-payments for coronavirus treatments, extend insurance coverage to these treatments, and to prevent surprise medical billing. Well, that is nice. That is good. That is very generous of the health insurance industry, except it turns out to not be true at all. Uh, It was apparently a huge surprise to the, you know, leaders of health insurance industry. Uh, What they had, in fact, promised to Donald Trump was much more limited. A spokesperson for the insurance industry lobbying group America's Health Insurance Plans told Politico's uh, uh, Sarah Owen Mole that they agreed to waive copay fees for testing, not for treatment, just for testing. As Bloomberg News described it, uh, Trump's error-laden foreign virus speech has uh, has investors spooked. Trump relied, they say, on a familiar playbook as he spoke in a primetime address from the Oval Office announcing sweeping new restrictions on travel from Europe and scattered executive actions to help workers and businesses rocked by what he labeled a, quote, foreign virus. I think he referred to it that way uh, twice, a foreign virus, this virus coming from China. Because it's a racist virus or something. I don't even know. That does seem to be the uh, reasoning behind the messaging that both Trump and Republicans are picking up now. Maybe that's what he meant before his speech started to C-SPAN capture. Bring me some of that white stuff. Maybe that's (laughs) just asking. Trump blamed allies for not adopting uh, adopting tough immigration measures. Uh, But the combative approach and small bore measures seemed only to highlight the president's struggle to confront the most consequential moment of his presidency. And even in a 10 minute address, Trump could not stick to the facts, they say. The speech clearly underwhelmed investors who have been waiting for a major economic plan the president had promised on Monday and has yet to put to paper. Futures on the benchmark S&P 500 index steadily deteriorated as details of his plan leaked out over the dinnertime hours in New York before the speech. Trump's most ambitious proposal included a suspension of U.S. payroll taxes, 
something that, by the way, he had also proposed about six months ago, long before anybody knew anything about the coronavirus, he was calling for a payroll tax cut. And I guess he still wants one. Uh, He also called for uh, paid sick leave for hourly workers, which ignores the needs of gig workers like uh, Uber and Lyft drivers and others working in the gig economy who will either have to uh, forego income altogether or run the risk of infecting everyone that they come in contact with or vice versa or, you know, infect you when they come deliver your food while you're in quarantine. Uh, he called for $50 billion in additional loans for small businesses. Loans. Yep. Got that? Loans. you got to pay that back. Yes, you do. Both Democrats and Republicans have expressed reticence about a payroll tax. And about three hours after his address, House Democrats released their own plan to fight economic fallout from the virus that uh, served to highlight how modest Trump's offering actually sounded. The Democrats' plan included free free cor- uh, coronavirus testing, paid emergency leave for workers, food security assistance, and other measures to help ordinary Americans weather the outbreak. But beginning within minutes of Trump's address, events rapidly demonstrated the extent of the crisis. The American movie star Tom Hanks and his wife, actress Rita Wilson, announced that they were infected with the virus and the NBA suspended its season. Now, on Thursday, the NHL joined the NBA in immediately suspending their season. So maybe my St. Louis Blues get to remain Stanley Cup champions for even longer. See, always an upside. (laughs) And uh, Major League Baseball has now canceled spring training and delayed its season for at least several weeks, pending a reassessment down the road as to whether they'll be able to play at all this year. And not long before airtime, the uh, NCAA, which had announced yesterday that it would play its men's and women's March Madness tournament games without crowds in the arenas, has now canceled both tournaments entirely. And about an hour or so, uh, or so ago, Disneyland has announced that they are also closing, but they will continue to pay park employees, most of whom are union members. So thank you, unions. Yep. But the message here... Um, America is shutting down, it seems to me. We are just shutting down. I don't know if we've ever done anything like this in in the country. I don't think uh, anything like this has occurred in modern history, in U.S. history. And it's not necessarily all of America that will be shutting down. But we do need to spread the word to folks to think through what you might need to do, how you might need to prepare, what things you might need to get ready in case your area does end up getting shut down from uh, small temporary shutdowns to some larger, broader shutdowns, sort of like the country of Italy is experiencing right now, where everything is shut down but grocery stores and pharmacies. So there are some things to think through on that, and the important thing to do is not panic, but to reach out to your neighbors Don't touch them. Wash your hands first. Reach out and wave. Wave at them. Talk to them. Make sure, you know, talk to the people that you know to uh, to sort of uh, get your community ready, mentally prepared for this potential eventuality. It's not guaranteed. I don't think it's it's potential. I don't think it's an eventuality. I think it is happening now at an alarming rate, an alarming speed. I don't want I'm not uh, suggesting that people should panic, but things are, yes, shutting down. In many Uh, places they are. Yes. So it's important to think it through. Uh, Most sadly, it looks like Donald Trump is canceling his rallies. 
The White House said after his speech that he had canceled plans to travel to Nevada and Colorado, and his campaign said an event planned for Milwaukee announced just one day earlier when Trump was insisting there was no reason to cancel any of his rallies. That has also now been canceled. The crisis has gone to the heart of uh, core unresolved questions about Trump's presidency, whether his streak of economic growth could be maintained through Election Day. Apparently not. If he could suppress his penchant for bold proclamations and political warfare as experts issued dire warnings about the disease. Well, apparently not. He can't do that either. And how, despite in his speech, by the way, calling for we need to come together, we need to stop the partisanship. Take a look at his Twitter feed over the past 24 hours. Tell me how he is uh, knocking off the partisanship. Uh, and how a West Wing staffed by novices and defiant outsiders would navigate the complexities of a true crisis. Well, apparently they are navigating it disastrously. And while public approval for Trump's handling of the crisis has been very low, it ain't going any better for him around the world either. European officials strongly condemn Trump's decision to severely restrict travel from Europe to the U.S., a sudden move that took them by surprise and that many saw as politically motivated. Of all the slights between Washington and Europe in recent years, the new travel restrictions represented a blow an order of magnitude beyond previous disputes, according to Washington Post. In a short statement, rare in its directness, the EU expressed only exasperation, quote, the coronavirus is a global crisis not limited to any continent and it requires cooperation rather than unilateral action. The European Union disapproves of the fact that the U.S. decision to impose a travel ban was taken unilaterally and without consultation. Yes, he did not even bother, apparently, to tell our European partners and allies first. Euro officials scrambled to play catch-up on Thursday to understand the reasoning behind the ban. The U.S. mission to the European Union declined to answer questions about how it was explaining the restrictions to European colleagues. Because yeah, how much you want to bet that the U.S. mission to the EU was not even told about this themselves in advance? I don't know that for a fact. I just have a feeling that is true. I'll bet they had no idea. In the meantime, Britain uh, had 430 active cases and eight deaths. Ireland had 42 active cases and one deaths, yet were curiously exempted from the ban. Some in Europe wondered if Britain and Ireland were exempted because they contained Trump-owned properties. Would anybody put that past Donald Trump? Would even Donald Trump supporters put that past Donald Trump at this point? In any case, the decision appeared to confound even leaders of the British government and former U.S. Homeland Security officials who said that scientific evidence did not support these travel restrictions. Critics of the ban said travel restrictions such as those imposed on China early in the crisis no longer makes sense given that coronavirus is now global. The energy and resources on the closures would be better spent, they say, on expanding U.S. hospital capacity, according to the experts. Yes, it costs money to put these restrictions and bans in place that they could use to, you know, help people instead of pretending they're keeping a virus out that is already in.
Even Tom Bossert, the former U.S. Homeland Security advisor to Donald Trump, also dismissed the value of these flight bans. He said there's a, there's little value to European travel restrictions, poor use of time and energy, he said. Earlier, yes, we have nearly as much disease here now in the U.S. as the countries in Europe. We must focus on layered community mitigation measures now, he tweeted. Now, under uh, previous presidents, the U.S. has often taken the lead in directing a coordinated global response to world challenges, just as you heard Barack Obama there. Should we play it again? You want to play that whole clip just to give us an idea of what, what a real president actually sounds like? And this week, at my direction, we're stepping up all of our efforts. Additional CDC personnel are on the scene in Dallas and Cleveland. We're working quickly to track and monitor anyone who may have been in close contact with someone showing symptoms. We're sharing lessons learned so other hospitals don't repeat the mistakes that happened in Dallas. The CDC's new Ebola rapid response teams will deploy quickly to help hospitals implement the right protocols. New screening measures are now in place at airports that receive nearly all passengers arriving from Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone, and will continue to constantly review our measures. So that's what a normal president sounds like yeah. or used to. And as I say, they, they've taken the lead in the past with working with the globe to you know, coordinate the response. Trump has, however, sought to minimize the virus, to undermine his scientific advisors, to blame other countries for the pandemic. This after Trump dissolved the White House's rapid pandemic response team back in 2018, which was set up by the Obama administration in the wake of that Ebola crisis that he was talking about there. So, you know, no wonder Trump got rid of it. Obama set it up. <clears throat> now, speaking of the Obama administration, former vice president and current 2020 Democratic presidential frontrunner Joe Biden addressed the nation with his own grown up speech this morning. While Trump's address from the Oval Office was about 10 minutes, Biden spoke for about 18 minutes, offering actual details on addressing the crisis, uh, his plan to convene a council of health experts and to have them lead with the science, which is a very nice change of pace from what we heard from Donald Trump. He also addressed Trump's poor politically based attempt to sort of bluster the virus away. Here's a bit of Biden's remarks on that Thursday morning. This disease could impact every nation and any person on the planet. We need a plan about how we're going to aggressively manage here at home. You know, I, I know people are worried. They're, my thoughts are with those who are directly fighting this virus. Those infected, families that have suffered a loss, first responders and healthcare providers who are putting themselves on the line as I speak for others. Downplaying it, being overly dismissive, or spreading misinformation is only going to hurt us and further advantage the spread of the disease. But neither should we panic or fall back on xenophobia. Labeling COVID-19 a foreign virus does not displace accountability for the misjudgments that have been taken thus far by the Trump administration. Let me be crystal clear. The coronavirus does not have a political affiliation. It will affect Republicans, independents, and Democrats alike, and will not discriminate based on national origin, race, gender, or zip code. It will touch people in positions of power, as well as most vulnerable in our society. And it will not stop 
Banning all travel from Europe or any other part of the world may slow it, but as we've seen, it will not stop it. Uh, he listed uh, a bunch of initiatives that he uh, was recommending that he would take as president that he was recommending right now. Yes. And uh, Bernie Sanders also uh, spoke. His uh, challenger for the nomination, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, offered a similarly presidential address on Wednesday morning. Here's a, here's a sample of that. Thursday morning. We have seen the crisis of the coronavirus continue to grow exponentially uh, here in the United States and around the world. Uh, and we have witnessed a global economic meltdown uh, which will impact millions of workers in our own country. In terms of potential deaths and in terms of the economic impact on our economy, the crisis we pay, face from the coronavirus is on a scale of a major war, and we must act accordingly. We are all in this together. Unfortunately, in this time of international crisis, it is clear to me, at least, that we have an administration that is largely incompetent and whose incompetence and recklessness have threatened the lives of many, many people in our country. Here is the bottom line. In the midst of this unprecedented moment, we need to listen to the scientists, to the researchers, to the medical folks, not to politicians. We need an emergency response to the current emergency, and we need it immediately. We need more doctors and nurses in underserved areas. We need to make sure that, doc that workers who lose their jobs in this crisis receive the unemployment assistance they need. And in this moment, in this moment, we need to make sure that in the future, after this crisis is behind us, we build a health care system that makes sure that every person in this country is guaranteed the health care that they need. And, you know, as I'm, uh, you know, looking back on uh, the, the response from the health insurance industry, you know, saying, oh, no, no, we didn't promise that it would be uh, free for those tests. Uh, we didn't promise that treatment would be free. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a global pandemic. This could affect thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people here in the U.S. who are going to have to be expected to pay for this. And we've got a president that is haggling pretty please health insurance industry pretty please will you help take care of our people and they're saying nope we're not gonna so that's the difference that is one thing that you would get out of a medicare for all system this would be taken care of the people would not have to worry about uh, you know going bankrupt if they get sick in a pandemic like this at a time when by the way they can't work and you've got a presidency who uh, is not all that interested in making sure that they have money while they cannot work yeah these are disincentives to people seeking testing seeking medical care and that is a major factor in not slowing the spread of the coronavirus yeah, I mean, that makes it worse for everyone when there are people who can't afford it who say, I'm not going to go get tested, even if tests exist at this point, but I'm not going to go get tested because I can't afford it. I can't afford it if I have the uh, the virus. Uh, I can't afford the treatment. 
And that means they're going to stay home and make everyone else sick or they're going to go to work and make everyone else sick because these uh, payroll taxes that Trump is talking about don't make much sense at all. Apparently, in one sense, they are an incentive to work more because you're going to save more money if you, you know, just keep going to work. If you stay home and you don't get paid a payroll you don't tax payroll cut taxes, doesn't do nothing. anything for you. Exactly. That's right. That's why the paid sick leave that House Democrats have proposed and Biden has proposed mm-hmm. and Bernie Sanders have proposed as well. Everybody has proposed this. It needs to be permanent. Uh, David Dayan, financial journalist, said the Spanish flu came back in the fall. It actually came back several times. So paid sick leave needs to be permanent in case this comes back later in the year or in coming years. The uh, paid sick leave is just one of the proposals from Democrats, um, and uh, that would bring an important public health benefit. Also, uh, people are calling for increasing the federal government's Medicaid spending, which would help the local and state governments that are on the front lines of dealing with this uh, crisis right now. That could be done pretty much with the stroke of a pen if the president declared a state of emergency to free up all sorts of things like a FEMA response where it is needed. Additional uh, Medicaid funding would would help expand hospitals and testing in short order. It would help ease the crush on medical workers and resources that are uh, that is currently being felt in places like Washington state right now. But so far, the president has decidedly not declared a state of emergency with the most effective uh, affected uh, states right now uh, currently being Washington, California and New York. Notice anything that those three states have in common. Yes, they are all uh, run by Democrats. I'm sure that has nothing to do with the president's decision to not call a state of emergency. I'm sure if it was this bad in Texas or Ohio or Florida, he would do so right away. Right? Well, uh, Politico's Anita Kumar had a piece last night explaining that Trump fears an emergency declaration would contradict his original claim, his original coronavirus message that it was, you know, it was no big deal. It was like the flu. It would just go away soon. You know, as soon as the weather warmed up, Hunter over at Daily Coast summarized uh, Politico's report nicely. He writes, the latest news out of the White House is incomprehensibly dire. Politico is reporting that Trump is reluctant to give the COVID-19 pandemic an emergency designation which would provide emergency funding to states and allow a federal emergency management agency, FEMA, response in affected areas because Trump believes calling it an emergency would go against his prior insistence that the coronavirus outbreak was no worse than the yearly flu. He doesn't want to declare the emergency, said a Republican who speaks to Trump because it, quote, contradicts his message. Worse still is this news. The coronavirus task force, now led by Vice President Mike Pence, will be holding off on its own recommendation on whether to declare a national emergency. Why? Because they're waiting on Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. According to a person familiar with the situation, the task force, quote, will not give Trump its final verdict until Jared Kushner, the president's senior advisor and husband to his daughter, Ivanka, finishes his research and comes to a conclusion himself. So the declaration of emergency allowing the response to an emerging and deadly pandemic will, if one comes at all, be on hold until Trump's son-in-law, 
the unelected Trump son-in-law, familiarizes himself with virus research, pandemic response protocols, and other applicable information so that he himself can make a decision based on his research rather than deferring to the government's own assembled public health uh, experts. After which Trump may or may not do it anyway, even if he recommends it, because he believes that it might contradict his original message that his administration has the virus under control. Hunter adds there are no words left to say. Well, uh, actually, there are some words left to say, like, are we actually going to be holding elections at this point? Next week in Ohio, Florida, Illinois, Arizona, much less this November, when the virus could, if it continues on its current trajectory, be exponentially worse by then. We are uh, taking this at this point day by day, hour by hour, even minute by minute at this point. But I'll have some thoughts on that next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Nobody said it was easy. No one ever said it would be this hard. True, true that. Oh, take me back to the start. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I was, uh, Desi and I were talking over the break. You were saying that Italy basically is about 10 days ahead of us. We should look to Italy to, to get a sense of where we'll be yes. 10 days from now. Italy is the cautionary tale. It does appear that we are about 10 days behind them as far as the infection and uh, slamming the healthcare system curve mm-hmm. goes. Uh, there's a story in The Atlantic that I think everybody should read, The Extraordinary Decisions Facing Italian Doctors. Uh, there are now simply too many patients. Doctors and nurses are unable to tend to everyone. They have run out of hospital beds and ventilators. Doctors are having to choose whom to treat and whom to ignore. They're having to choose who will die. They do not have enough ventilators for everyone, and they're being forced in impossible decisions like, well, let's see, we have one ventilator, a patient who's 80, a patient who's 30, who gets the ventilator? So this is what could happen with the United States healthcare system, which runs on razor-thin margins and does not have much surge capacity. This is why they're talking about social distancing. This is why the CDC is trying to say, hey, Hey, 
If you have the capacity to stay home from work, if that's something you're allowed to do, do it now so that people can afford to do it. Right. If you can afford to do it. Right. So that people who can't afford to do it are that much more protected from an additional spread in the virus. We're trying to flatten the curve, slow the spread so that we don't overwhelm the healthcare system all at once. And, you know, it's difficult to talk about this without panicking people. Right. You know, when you describe what's going on in Italy, that's been a difficult thing. I know for me over the past uh, several weeks, how do you how do you cover this? Give people the information they need to know, they need to hear without Alarming panicking them. them. Yeah, yeah, but this is in fact uh, moving quickly, um, and uh, all by the way in the middle of primary season. So, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I I started asking back then about whether it was a good idea to be using germy touchscreen voting systems at primary polling places in the middle of a global pandemic. And folks thought at the time that I brought that up that it was kind of funny, uh, you know, given that I'm one of the nation's longest and loudest opponents of unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. And here is just one more reason to uh, never use such a system. But you know what? That question ain't so funny now, is it? No. Now, I, you know, I, I, I don't think those machines should be used any time, of course, pandemic or otherwise, in American democracy. But, you know, the point in when I brought it up was also somewhat self-serving because I've argued that hand-marked paper ballots where people can bring and use their own pens would be far more safe to use while this was going on. Uh, but even that now, according to a report out of, uh, out of New Hampshire, where some towns held some municipal elections on Tuesday, even that notion at this point needs to be revisited as an option. Uh, locals' coronavirus concerns appear to have prompted some difficulties during Tuesday's municipal elections in New Hampshire. According to Atkinson Town Clerk Juliana Hale, uh, the Eagle Tribune in Massachusetts reported yesterday, Hale said that both of Atkinson's ballot scanners were temporarily clogged by ballots that were wet with disinfectant or hand sanitizer. Oh, you're kidding. No, I'm not. Uh, She said uh, it is definitely the year of coronavirus um, and that uh, it has prompted, uh, of course, multiple states, including Massachusetts, to declare a state of emergency. She said that some voters brought their own alcohol-based disinfectant to clean both their hands and the voting booths. When ballots came into contact with the disinfectant, she said they began to break down and clog the machines. The disinfectant is weakening the paper structure, Hale said. That's what I'm seeing anyway. The issue was only able to be remedied by calling LHS Associates. That's the private contractor that distributes and services the machines. I don't have time to get into the uh, criminal background of LHS. You can go to bradblog.com and look up (laughs) LHS Associates to learn about them. But in any event, they're still servicing these machines. Hale said the first machine clogged around 1230. An LHS employee promptly came and fixed the machine, but the second scanner then broke down at 2.30 p.m. About 45 minutes after the guy left, he was able to pull out the the ballot, but the little pieces are getting jammed in the rollers, she said. People are freaking out about it, but you can't put in a moist ballot. Hale said one of the LHS employees who fixed a voting machine said that this issue was highly unusual, according to Hale. The LHS worker said the company typically has very few, if any, issues during 
municipal elections that are sparsely attended. But by afternoon, Hale said the company had already heard of 26 cases of machines being clogged by moist ballots. Oh, boy. Yeah, oh, boy. Atkinson wasn't the only town apparently running into problems. Salem town clerk Susan Wall said we had a couple of issues with the boxes because of the hand sanitizer. In Wyndham, town clerk Nicole Bataille also noted issues with the voting machines due to damp ballots. So 26 machines in a few towns in New Hampshire during low turnout municipal elections. We may have a very real problem here, Houston. Of course, Houston uses touchscreen, so uh, but, <laughs> but you get my raised, point. Yes. Yeah, uh, a so, high turnout you know, election. This would be a horrible thing to have happen. I mean, if we can't and shouldn't use touchscreens and handmarked paper ballots at polling places are causing problems for precinct-based optical scan systems. And states and towns, by the way, are now banning large gatherings like, say, you know, hundreds of people jammed into polling places waiting online because we have such a stupid, poorly run electoral system in many parts of this country. Well, what then? I mean, are we really going to keep having primary elections this year at this point? We've got uh, next Tuesday coming up in Arizona, Florida, Ohio, and Illinois. The following week in Georgia, which uses these brand new touchscreen systems across the entire state. Are we really going to be doing this? Are we going to have these primary elections still, much less a, a nationwide election in November, the most critical we have ever seen, with a turnout probably unlike we have ever seen? I mean, I sure hope so. I sure hope we're going to have the elections. Uh, but, you know, a couple of days ago, I first mentioned that if this pandemic continues on its current trajectory, I suspect we will all have to have vote by mail elections this November. And if you've listened to the show over the years or you read Bradblog.com, you know that I am not a fan of vote by mail for a whole bunch of reasons. Among them, just so I don't get a lot of mail with people asking me why, among them, well, it lead, it can lead to vote buying and selling and voter intimidation. And while we don't have much of a problem with voter fraud in this country, election fraud, that's a different matter. But voter fraud, the voters are generally doing fine. It's not a huge problem here, at least at the polling places where we do have problems with voter fraud. It tends to be via absentee ballot. Vote-by-mail ballots are also uh, easier, by the way, for election officials to simply discard for dis uh, dubious reasons like claims that, uh, you know, by non-handwriting uh, experts, these election officials who say that, oh, these signatures don't match. Let's throw it out. So I'm not a, a vote-by-mail fan unless you live in a jurisdiction where you are forced to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. However, I am afraid this is where we now are in 2020 with the coronavirus pandemic, which is why I noted that we are likely to need to go to 100% uh, VBM election, vote by mail elections by November. If this current trajectory continues, we may have to do that even sooner. And with that in mind, last night, the former chair of the GOP, Michael Steele, a decent guy, in truth, uh, he tweeted this. He said, quote, as chair of the U.S. Vote Foundation, I'm asking the Congress to mandate that all states remove any restrictions on vote by mail absentee ballot requests. 
Due to coronavirus, every citizen should be able to vote safely with an absentee vote-by-mail ballot. His tweet was accompanied by a press release from the uh, nonprofit, nonpartisan group, the U.S. Vote Foundation, uh, which says they work to facilitate and increase the participation of U.S. domestic, overseas, and military voters. They called for the U.S. Congress to issue a requirement that all states remove any and all barriers to vote-by-mail absentee ballot requests uh, for the 2020 elections, including primaries, special runoff, and general elections. Michael Steele, uh, chairman of the group, is quoted saying ensuring voters can vote from home is a reasonable, I'm sorry, a responsible and forward-thinking policy action that Congress should include in its response to the current public health situation. And it looks like Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, is also proposing federal funding in order to expand national vote by mail and removing any restrictions on people being able to vote by mail. 33 states currently allow voters to request a ballot by mail without providing a reason or what is commonly called an excuse, the group notes, uh, for not going to the polls. There remain, however, 17 states and five territories that do not. And these include, by the way, high population states like Texas and New York. And if I recall, uh, Pennsylvania as well. Don't know if they've changed that since. And I have to say, I am having a very difficult time uh, disagreeing with this right now. Glad yeah. Ron Wyden is on it. Glad we're going to pass emer- going to have to pass emergency legislation in Congress. I hope that uh, some uh, decent uh, Democrats and some decent Republicans, if any can be found there, will include that in the in any must sign legislation yes. that is sent to this president. It's going right. to be necessary, I think. <sighs> boy, oh boy, it is. Uh, it is getting bad. Quick break, and we are back with our the, the light part of our show. <laughs> Desi Doyen and the Green News Report is up next. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, well, this is fun. What? U.S. launches strikes in Iraq against Iranian-backed militias after attack that killed coalition troops. Okay. So that's going on now, too. Okay, everyone, hang on out there. Uh, uh, Well, I don't want to say hug your friends and neighbors, (laughs) but support your friends and neighbors. We are going to get through this one way or another. We are all in this mess together. We will figure it out together. We will get out of it together. Don't worry. Really, don't worry. Just remember to figure out how to vote any goddamn way that you can this year and stay safe. And speaking of staying safe, we'll get to uh, the fun part of the show. Always lots of laughs. Our latest Green News Report. Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic. Glad you finally noticed, Mr. President. GM bets big on all electric vehicles. Honolulu sues the oil industry. Plus... 
Coal is no longer king. Renewables now generate more electricity. Long live the king. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures. Are you okay, Mr. President? Sounds like you're having trouble breathing. Maybe you ought to have that checked out. This is your Green News Report. By counting and continuing. You know, Desi Doyen, shortness of breath is one of the symptoms for coronavirus. Just, Just saying. Well, thanks for pointing that out. Somebody ought to point it out to Mr. Trump. Well, first up, the World Health Organization officially declared the novel coronavirus a pandemic on Wednesday, and that has all sorts of uncertain implications for the world going forward. Among them, Swedish teen Greta Thunberg, the founder of the Fridays for Future Youth Climate Movement and the massive school strike for climate demonstrations, on Wednesday called on her fellow teen climate activists to, quote, unite behind experts and science and move their weekly rallies online mm. to slow the spread of the coronavirus outbreak using the hashtag digital strike for upcoming Fridays. Do digital strikes, you suppose, have as much of an impact as in-person protests do? Probably not, but I think that's the right choice going forward. Given the mess we're in, it's hard to disagree with you. A rather big question is whether the crash in oil prices associated with the coronavirus pandemic and associated with Saudi Arabia's oil price war with Russia will impact the growing transition away from fossil fuels. In the past, low retail gas prices in the U.S. have induced Americans to buy gas-guzzling SUVs. Mm -hmm. But some analysts say it may be different this time. Electric cars are nearly competitive with conventional gas cars on costs because of falling battery prices. These analysts say that they believe electrification is here to stay because automakers have already invested heavily in a transition to all electric models and are unlikely to reverse their long-term course just because of fluctuations in the oil market. I agree with that, although I still think Americans are going to continue buying these fossil fuel cars as long as oil prices come down. Yes, you're probably right, but... That is the game plan for U.S. carmaker General Motors. Last week, GM took aim at electric car leader Tesla, unveiling an all-new modular platform for its next-generation all-electric vehicles with an improved battery pack that gets 400 miles of range. Really? That's, that's more than Tesla. Wow. And they announced investments of more than $20 billion over the next five years into all-electric and autonomous vehicles. Here's GM CEO Mary Barra. Electric vehicles will make the world a better place today and for generations to come. And we intend to play a lead role in creating a zero emissions future. We want to put everyone in an EV and we have what it takes to do it. Well, I hope their new electric cars are less annoying than their electric background music. (laughs) In other news, new research from the Federal National Bureau of Economic Research shows that the housing market is failing to price in the rising risks from flooding and climate-related catastrophes into home prices that are located in vulnerable areas. According to current U.S. flood maps, nearly 4 million U.S. homes are built in floodplains, and that means they are overvalued by about $34 billion, which the researchers say, quote, raises concerns about the stability of real estate markets as climate risks become more severe.
In politics, the far right-wing Heartland Institute, a prominent and influential climate denial think tank funded by the fossil fuel industry and billionaire donors, has laid off nearly a dozen staffers amid deep financial troubles. That's according to three former employees. So sad. Isn't Heartland Institute the ones that had put up billboards comparing environmentalists to Charlie Manson and the Unabomber? Yes, they are. Oh, and now they're having financial trouble? Yep. What a pity. But some good news. The city of Honolulu is now the latest U.S. city to sue the oil industry. The city accused 10 major oil companies of hiding the dangers of climate change caused by greenhouse gas emissions from burning their products while reaping billions in profits. The city is seeking compensation for infrastructure damages. And finally, the use of coal for electricity in the United States is plunging rapidly at the fastest rate in 65 years. Mm. Electric utility companies are closing down polluting coal plants to switch to cheaper, cleaner natural gas and renewables and running existing coal plants much less often. Bloomberg News reports renewables have surpassed coal in the United States even in the dead of winter. In January, solar, wind and hydropower generated more electricity in the U.S. than coal plants. And that has never happened before. When, oh when, will Donald Trump's war on coal ever come to an end? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Can you hear the death knell for old King Cole? See? I told you we had, you know, good news, There's happy good news, news there. Yeah. Uh... The uh, coal is almost gone. So there's that, even under Donald Trump. So we're getting somewhere, aren't we? We're trying. Yeah, we're trying. Uh, And we will keep on uh, trying in our next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Until then, I want to thank our producer, Desi Doyen. I want to thank all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. It's a great honor. And if nothing else, uh, people can't go out because of the virus. Maybe they'll stay home and listen to more radio. Hey, there you go. See an upside as well. Um, if you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime at bradblog.com. That is a free service uh, provided to you, thanks in part, uh, entirely actually, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. We are 100% listener-supported radio. We cannot continue to do what we do even through uh, this election, and we really want to, uh, without your support at bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. The delightful Nicole Sandler will be in for us uh, on our next thrilling Bradcast. Don't worry. We're not taking off because we have the coronavirus. <laughs> But until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.